When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ashes cricket is always something as a young kid you you want to play in. Um, you know, coming in before lunch today was probably the, some of the toughest conditions I've come in in my Test career so far. So really proud of the work that I've done mentally to be able to overcome nerves and get into the t- contest as quickly as I possibly can. And I think that comes with a bit of age, a bit of growth, and probably a bit of time away from the game to to work on certain things. Oh, that was Mitchell Marsh after scoring his third test century overnight. What a moment for him and what an innings. Welcome to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm Menes. It's our wrap of day one of the third test from Headingley. And I've got a super sub joining me. He's a commentator for Cricket Australia. He's also the host of the Red V podcast. So if you like your rugby league and especially the St. George Dragons, check it out. His name's Jack Clifton. Jack, welcome to Cricket Unfiltered. How are you? Yeah, good minutes. Thanks for having me on, mate. Excited to uh, to chat about what transpired last night. There's so much to talk about, but I think well, let, let's go back to the beginning of play because some some big team changes, especially for Australia, they they weren't announced prior to play. So um, Cameron Green picked up a mild hamstring strain and had to be rested from this game to recover. Mm-hmm. Mitch Marsh came in, who hasn't played a Test match uh, since 2019. He actually took a five-wicket haul at the Oval in the last Ashes Tour in that Test match. But uh, quite a stunning move, Jack. They kept the injury pretty quiet. And Mitchell Marsh, I think, has played four first-class games in four years, makes his mm. return. What was your initial thoughts? Yeah, I don't think anyone kind of anticipated that was that was going to be the case. Um, I think there'd been a few little rumours that maybe Cameron Green wasn't at 100%. But I think in this modern day, um, yeah, teams have to work pretty hard to keep that kind of news under wraps. And the Australians certainly um, certainly did that. I was pretty surprised. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I think for, for Cameron Green, he's um, didn't bowl to his ability uh, in the last test and, and unfortunately kind of ran into a runaway freight train in Ben Stokes, um, who was just kind of teeing off. But but maybe the rest for him might be uh, beneficial. Um, and, and as we as we saw and as we'll speak about uh, in a moment, man, as Mitchell Marsh certainly took his opportunity with, with a runner ball 118. So, yeah, a, a surprising move, I think. A lot of Australian cricket fans probably would have been, maybe not crit- critical is probably uh, too strong of a word, but but surprised at, at the selection. Um, they've also got M- Michael Neeser in the squad, but I think batting him up at number six or, or pushing um, Alex Kerry up to number six and having Neeser at seven or Cummins at seven probably made the Australian batting a bit thin. Um, and gee, uh, didn't uh, didn't Mitchell Marsh kind of take his opportunity if, uh, if that selection hadn't happened? Who knows what Australia would have ended up with um, at the end of this first day, Manners. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was a bit uh, worried, but uh, Marsh scored a century, took a wicket. You couldn't ask for much more. Uh, and then, yeah, Scott Boland came in for Josh mm. Hazelwood. There, there has been reports that Hazelwood, you know, coming off an injury and back-to-back tests might be rested. Mm. Uh, I'm comfortable with that because I think managing the fast bowlers is something you have to sort of do at close yeah. range and see how they go. But I think I can unequivocally say, you know, that, that Josh Hazelwood is a better bowler than Scott Boland. 
Yeah, and I think, yeah, like I would have been happy if Hazelwood had been selected to, to play this test, but I, I know in the modern game um, that they're they're looking at the loads of the bowlers. And, and as you mentioned, um, Josh Hazelwood's have a, had a pretty rotten run with injury over the last 12 to 18 months and has missed a fair bit of cricket. And it is a long series that Australia may be up 2-0, but they, they want to be able to save Josh Hazelwood if... If England were, were to jag a game here, then all of a sudden the series is well and truly alive, and and you need your best uh, your best players there. So like um none of these players are ever going to put their hands up and say, oh yeah, I I don't mind missing this game. It's it's not like that sense in, in like it is in park cricket where you don't mind taking a weekend off. But um yeah, I think Australia are in a lucky position, men, is where they have someone the quality of Scott Boland that can come in. Um and, and fingers crossed when the when the second uh, the, the second day does start, if, if there are overcast skies, if there is a bit of humidity and the ball is swinging and hooping around like it was when Australia was batting, then uh, Scott Boland's probably uh, the perfect player to to have there. I think he probably does um, move the ball a little bit more uh, away from the batters than than Josh Hazelwood does. Um, and who knows that could that could pay dividends for Australia further down this test match. Oh, I'd love another six for seven from <laughs> yeah, Scott Boland in this test match. And Todd Murphy came in as expected mm. for Nathan Lyon. So as predicted, also some changes for England. And they were they strengthened their bowling. So Harry Brook moved up to number three. Ollie Pope missing the game due to a so- shoulder injury. He's actually missing the rest of the series. Johnny Bairstow, um, the, the the dozy wandering keeper, moved up from <laughs> wandered up from seven to five. Um, in came Mo Ali. Mark Wood, Chris Wokes, and out went Anderson, Pope, and Tung. So big changes. Mm. They've obviously gone for the extra bowling option, which I think is probably sensible. But, you know, know, as the game stands, England are uh, 195 runs behind Australia's first innings with seven wickets in hand. And, you know, maybe they will rue not having that extra batter. Yeah, the top order looks brittle, especially with the fact that you see that Australia got three wickets last night. Um, outside of, of Root and Stokes, I don't know if there's many players in that top six that you can really rely on to consistently score runs. Root's had a good series. So I mean, if, you see, if you see Brooke coming out at three as an opening mm. bowler, you're licking your lips. Yeah, and I think that's that's the position that Australia finds himself in at the moment. So, um, but then in England probably think, well, if we if we didn't strengthen the bowling window with a batter, we, we might find ourselves kind of in pursuit of 350, 380, 400. Um, I think the inclusion of Mark Wood was was a great one. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure of all the, the background information about it. Uh, if he wasn't at full fitness for the first couple of test, tests or, or what it was, they, maybe they didn't think the conditions suited him, but... He he gave Australia trouble in Australia um, when we when we met in the Ashes a few seasons ago. So um, I think he was always going to cause trouble on his on his own decks and just has that express pace that I think can trouble the top order. And I don't think really anyone outside of of Mitch Marsh was able to play him comfortably. And um, yeah, ended with a with, with a nice half full of wickets. So that yeah, it's kind of yeah they've they've strengthened the bowling to to kind of weaken the batting and and be interesting to see as this this test um, moves on. Men as um, whether that pays dividends for, for the Poms or, or whether they find themselves 50 or 60 runs short. Because I don't think this is going to be a pitch that's going to be easy to battle on regardless of, of what time of the match you're, you're out in the middle. Um, we'll talk about the Australian collapse, but but maybe 250, 260 might be enough to, to have a handy 50 or 60 run lead. Although England could, could turn me into a liar tonight and, and they could uh, they could pass 350, 400 and, and put themselves in, uh, in command of this test match. It's, it's set up pretty nicely at the moment. Indeed it is. And uh, as the match stands, Australia were bowled out for 263. 
Wokes, oh, sorry, Mark Wood with the figures five for 34. And in mm. reply, England are three for 68 with Root not out 19, Bearstow not out one. But at the start of play, Ben Stokes won the toss and sent Australia in. Mm. Pat Cummins said he would have done the same thing. And and that was a that was a good cricket pitch that we saw. Mm. There was life early. There's pace in the pitch, which we didn't see in the first two test matches. And I have to say, you know, it was a it was a good cricket wicket because the ball was coming onto the bat, but it was also a bit in it for the quicks. Oh yeah, it's 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 what a test a test pitch should be. You and I before have have, have bemoaned the fact that that some of the the, the lifeless pitches in Australia in in domestic first class scene um, don't give the the bowlers and and batter, batters a, a fair go. But this is the perfect type of pitch. I think when England had that new ball, uh, they were able to. I just kind of thought in my analysis that they they bowled a lot fuller. Um, obviously, in the last test, the the pitch was a bit lifeless, so they had to 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 bowl a, a fair proportion of short balls. But I thought they bowled a, a much fuller length in that trouble. Obviously, they got the early wicket of Warner, um, and then there was a bit of a mini partnership. And I think the ball of the innings for, for me was that tremendous ball from Mark Wood that knocked Usman Khawaja's leg stump flying out of the ground. I think, yeah, as 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 a cricket fan, maybe not Australian cricket fans, but you love to you love to see um, uh, th- that kind of bowling, um, but yeah, it's it, it's 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 got a lot of life in it, and I don't think it's going to be the pitch that is going to necessarily flatten out and and get that much easier uh, for, for batting. If if the match makes it to the fourth day, I, I imagine it's it's going to start to break up a little bit. There's going to be some footmarks there, and and maybe the likes of kind of Todd Murphy and Moali are going to have an opportunity to, to to maybe run right in the last couple of days, but it certainly seems like a, um, a real goldmine for, for the, for the pacemen. Um, they've absolutely dominated proceedings um, in that first day. And to think that 13 wickets fell, that, that probably gives you um, a pretty good analysis and shows you, yeah, just how difficult it is to bat on, on this pitch over there in Leeds. Oh, definitely. And another fantastic day. I mean, mm. well, just a, another great day of cricket. So yeah, Warner was out caught second slip in the first over off broad for four. And then Kawaji, you're right, got an absolute thunderbolt. And mm. for him, who's seen the ball like a watermelon, to be completely done for pace um, yeah. was was terrific stuff from Wood. And then Labashain was caught at slip for 21 off Wokes. Um, again, familiar dismissal we've seen in this mm-hmm. series, just playing at one at sort of that fifth or sixth off stump line from Labashain yeah. um, and just found the edge. And then Steve Smith. Well, Steve Smith came to the crease when Kawaja was dismissed and he was booed onto the ground in his 100th test match. So mm. terrific stuff there from the English fans. Oh, disgusting behaviour. It's it's almost like a replay of what happened in 2019. Like it's, um, I, I like to think as, as as a cricket fan, even if you don't like someone personally, you can you can respect for them, respect the respect the game first and foremost, and respect that they um, that they have the ability to uh, to 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 be a tremendous player. Steve Smith is is arguably one of the best cricketers to uh, to to ever uh, ever face this earth, and maybe kind of in our, our, the the best batsman we've seen in our generation. When you look at his his statistics and what he's been able to do, and um, like I know it doesn't affect Steve. He's he's probably used to it by now. He's he's been getting it for for a good part of the last kind of four or five years since all the drama in in South Africa. Um, but yeah, but disappointing. Not 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 surprising manners, but but still disappointing all the same. I just think yeah, um, there's 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 cheap shots and pot shots 
uh, given to the Australian fans. But I, I, I wouldn't. I would like to think that the Australian fans wouldn't wouldn't be like that with with someone that the caliber of of Steve Smith. Yeah, sure. Uh, Boost you abroad because um, he's a bit of a flog. But but I like also Steve think Smith. the I also think if you watch Broad's performances around Australia, he gets begrudging respect from Australian mm. crowds, and yeah. you know he got he got some cheers at the SCG when he was here last summer. And I think there's you know the pantomime booing, but it, it maybe in someone's hundredth Test match. Incessant, yeah, it, exactly. it seems incessant towards Smith. So yeah, that was that that was a shame, and and then he, yeah, he got he, he got a, a good ball, and I think probably at that stage England probably thought, well, we can knock Australia for for one fifty or under. Well, well yeah, so Australia, yeah. Australia were four for eighty five. Smith goes mm. inside edge caught by Bearstow. He reviewed it. It was a tough one. It could have flicked the pad. Um, so so he goes and we go to lunch with uh, Marsh and head not out. And Mitch Marsh mm. actually said that. He was really nervous in the, the little period just before lunch. He was only yeah. out there for an over, I think, or, or over and a bit. And he really had to work hard to get through that and fight his nerves. And Jack, I got to say mm. to you, when we went off the, at the lunch break with Marsh and Head not out, I, I feared that Australia wouldn't make 150 and would yeah. be bowling by tee. Uh, but then what transpired was we saw one of the great counter-attacking hundreds in Ash's mm. history, uh, you know, uh, Mitch Marsh, 100 off 102 balls. It was phenomenal. Yeah. He ended up making 118 <clears throat> off 118 with 17 fours and four sixes. Mm. You know, Mark Wood was bowling, you know, almost 95 miles an hour, and he just um, was smashing them past him and over the fence at mid-wicket. Mm. I mean, that was one of the most scintillating passages of, passages of play. Head and Mitch mm. Marsh put on 155. In, a, in just over 25 overs. I mean, yeah. it was incredible. It was. And, and there were proper cricket shots as well. He was playing some exquisite cover drives. He played some lovely shots down the ground. He was sweating on anything, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a little bit short. Uh, there was a couple of times that Broad or Wood or Works just not even didn't even bowl short. It was it was more short of a length, and he just has that ability to uh, to to pick up the length and, and was just able to slap it over mid-wicket for, for six years. You see him, he's... He's, he's got such a massive frame. He, he's so strong. And 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 what we saw last night, Menace, I think has been something that the Australian public has wanted to see for, for a large portion of, of Mitch March's career. I think there's always been that incredible potential, obviously coming from the rich lineage of the Marsh family and his brother, Sean, obviously played a fair bit of test cricket. Um, Mitch has had a lot of success when it when it's come to the first class scene here in Australia. But for, for whatever reason, hasn't really um, or ha- hasn't really come to fruition. He had that that 181 against the English um, at the MCG, but that was probably a pretty dead pitch. I think even you probably could have scored 100 on on that wicket. So maybe I don't not know quite. Was, but... yeah, I don't know if there was a lot of um, investment necessarily put in put in that innings. But yeah, I, I'm really really happy for him. He's unfortunately kind of been a little bit of, of kind of public enemy number one here in Australia, which sounds sounds funny, but he's been afforded so many opportunities. But I guess when you see the the, the potential that was there and, and no doubt people closer to the Australian cricket team and, and management have probably seen that more so than you and I, just, just your, your kind of average cricket fans have seen it's, it's understandable why he has got so many opportunities, but who knows, this might be the start of, start of something. I think if, if nothing else, it's great to have, someone scoring runs um if not to be putting pressure on Cameron Green even just to have that little bit of little bit of extra depth then uh, if there is an injury um down the line then who knows yet you, you might 
you might see in that Australia starting 11, whether it's in this series or whether it's the home series against Pakistan, the West Indies, having Cameron Green and Mitch Marsh in, in the same batting lineup. But I thought it was a it was a tremendous innings and it was it was incredible to, to watch. I just hope that the English fans don't start saying that Mitch Marsh is playing baseball because uh, there was nothing baseball about that. That was, uh, that was calculated. It was a brilliant counter-attacking innings. It was very, very nice to watch. Oh, I just love the power and the ferocity, the way he dominated the partnership with Head. And he spoke after the game about the confidence that the management group have given him, given him Pat Cummins, Andrew McDonald, that they've really supported him, made him feel comfortable. He joked about the fact that he, you know, he felt like he was on holiday and he, he scored a century while he was on a Kentucky tour. <laughs> I mean, he was having a real laugh. And there was magical pictures, if you can find them online, of Jeff Marsh and uh, Sean Marsh watching the century in Bali and celebrating. Oh, Sean, Marsh awesome. Sean Marsh is over there um, uh, celebrating his 40th birthday. So what a moment that must have been for their family uh, that have all all played in Ashes cricket. Mm. Um, and, and also, you know, just he talked about, Marsh talked about, you know, getting control of his nerves and early in his innings because, you know, he's a big bloke. If he's nervous, mm. his footwork gets stuck. And, excuse me, you know, I, you know Cameron Green's a great player. But Marsh has the unique ability, the way he plays limited overs cricket, to play a counter-attacking innings like the one we mm. saw. I actually don't know if Cameron Green was had the capability in that situation to go, you know what, bang, 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 I'm going to start bashing the ball back, back at you. And apparently Pat Cummins just said to Mitchell Marsh when he was told he was going to be back in the team, uh, I don't mind if you try and hit the first ball for six. And, you know, he was just given that freedom to go out there yeah. and play his way and I got to say, it was some of the most exhilarating batting, mm. and you know Australia just just a phenomenal innings. But the English only have themselves to blame. Mm. Um, so they dropped four chances during the day. The the most costly though was just after lunch. Marsh was dropped at first sleep off the first first sleep first slip off the bowling of Wokes uh, by Joe Root when he was mm. just on twelve. Um, so that would have made Australia five mm. down just after lunch. And as I said, um, probably would have been bowling by T. You know, Butterfingers Bairstow dropped a few, yes, uh, <laughs> dropped a couple yesterday. I, I mean, if you're an English supporter, you should be very frustrated. They have now put down 14 chances this series, mm. two wickets off no balls, plenty of half chances. I mean, it's like, okay, great, your golf game's good. Maybe you should spend a bit of time at catching practice. Oh, their fielding in this series has been pathetic. Uh, it's it's all good and well to be able to score runs quickly and and well take wickets at times, but but Australia would be in uh, a much more awkward position, not just in this test, but in the series if England had been able to take their chances. So their bowlers are doing enough to create those opportunities, create those half chances and at times. Uh, more than half chances, uh, full chances uh, w was was the one with with Mitch Marsh and yeah, Joe Root normally has a safe pair of hands. Um, he's pretty he's a pretty good first slipper, but yeah, that one I don't know whether it was a bit of um, mental fatigue or, or what it was, um, but it just yeah went went in and went straight out, and that was a really costly one because that uh, not only cost the the one hundred and six runs that that Mitch Marsh added after that, but also the partnership. It, it probably cost them one hundred and thirty or one hundred and forty runs. So instead of kind of chasing two sixty three, they could have been chasing around that that 140, 150, 160 mark potentially if they've been able to, to take their chances. Their, their ground fielding has been pretty good, England. We 
we, we even saw last night there was a couple of really good diving stops in the outfield. So no concern with their grand fielding. But if I'm Brendan McCullum, I'm quite concerned and I'm kind of getting the side together and, and working with my fielding coach to, to make sure that doesn't happen because, gee, I, I, I play local local seventh grade cricket and it's not a, it's not a very high standard. But I think our captain would be would be pretty pissed off if we put down 14 chances in, in the space of two games. He'd be, yeah, getting us uh, getting us to, to be doing <laughs> something in our, in our own time. So not acceptable for England, um, and it's something they desperately need to need to work on because if they if they keep putting down these chances over the course of this test and the next couple of tests, they're going to find themselves on the end of a of a potential three three one or four one scoreline. Yeah, baseballs not, uh, catching practice not the baseball way. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but Australia might have actually scored two hundred and sixty five runs because there was a, mm. a dubious stop on the boundary. Yeah. Where it looks like uh, Ben Stokes was trying to stop the ball and it hit the the rope or or the the foam thing and. For some reason, the third umpire didn't give it uh, four runs. And, you know, strange. I thought, you know, Ben Stokes, who was right there, probably knew it hit the boundary, would, uh, you know, signal for the way he wants to play cricket for the spirit of cricket. But I guess, I guess not. I guess uh, didn't, spirit of cricket didn't suit him at that moment. Um, <laughs> so, so Mitch Marsh goes just before T, frustrating for him. Mm. He, he said afterwards how frustrated he was because he had, he had the England attack at his mercy, but the score was too. 240 inside edge onto thigh pad uh, goes into gully I think and is caught off woke so he goes just before the tea break actually ended up being the the last ball because they went off then Mm. and broke that 155 run partnership and then we saw one of the most electrifying spells of fast bowling I've seen in a while Uh, Mark Wood knocked over the tail he got Stark Cummins Murphy Carey um, he ended up with figures of five for 34. Australia crashed from four for 240, all out for 263, losing mm. six for 23 at the end. Um, Wood's average pace was over 90 miles an hour. His quickest was around 96 miles an hour. And he just cut through the tail uh, very, very quickly. You know, a shame that we couldn't wag the tail and get that score up around mm. three, three fifty. But in the end, I think it just highlights to me how well Mitch Marsh played. Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, and full credit to, to Mark Woodbold, bowled really well. As I said, he traveled the Australians over here in, in Australia a couple of summers ago. So he's a, he's a good, he's a really good bowler. And, and he's one of the, and England probably haven't had someone, like I know Joffre Archer did it in patches in the last time, the last time that Australia was over there in the UK, but you kind of probably got to go back to the days of Darren Goff where they had someone with that express pace that likes to bowl short, can really hurry up the batsman, but has the ability to bowl that, that, that full ball and is able to move the ball through the air. Like what we saw with, with Kawaja. So yeah, it's, it could potentially be a, a match match defining or a match changing spell from Mark Wood if if the England batters can get their finger out and can can try and chip away at uh, at this lead. So yeah, but but back to your point, Menace. Most definitely, it shows that that Mitch Marsh was was playing at a different level. And I think when you can do that, when the conditions aren't easy, it's all good and well to be able to score 120, 130 when you're playing on a fairly flat track and there's other players around you that are scoring runs or you come in at four for two fifty. But he came in in a very precarious position. Um, hasn't played much cricket at all, hasn't played a test match since 2019 um, and was able to, to come in and, and dominate the attack really after being given a chance. And yeah, it seemed calculated. It wasn't if he, he was trying to hit the cover off the ball and trying to play a, t- a T20 style. Like he was, he was being calculated in his approach. He was playing some glorious shots um, that 
once it got through the infield, there was no doubt that it was going to reach the boundary. It was lifting uh, some well, some other shots over. Well, they the were also they further. also they also went short and fault him at a while. They like they were like trying to bounce him and then York him, and he was just waiting for the over pitch half volley and belting it through the offside. There was some big gaps there, and you know played some vicious pull shots mm. over the fence on the onside. So Australia all out two sixty three just into the last session, and you know they started the last session dropping carry. It didn't cost them, but you know that that's part of their 14 in the series and then after the innings break it was pat cummins who ripped through the england top order uh, had uh, ben duckett caught by alex carey for just two a terrific catch from carey going mm. to his left high just got it in the um tips of his gloves i mean he carey is having a brilliant series behind the sticks He's developing into a world-class wicketkeeper. And English fans can say what they want about what happened in the previous test, but that showed high cricket IQ to, to notice that um, Besto had been drifting out of his crease. And he he, he took a marvellous catch in that second test as well, where he leapt high um, and was able to pluck the ball at the score, almost like a soccer goalkeeper. So, yeah, he's really developing. Um, I, unfortunately, kind of missed out with the bat a little bit earlier on. But um, you look back to the World Test Championship final against India, you look uh, to the series in Pakistan, he's got with some really handy innings at number seven, not necessarily coming out and, and scoring a century, but chipping away with a valuable 50 or 60. And his keeping skills have been magnificent. Um, Tim Payne was was brought in as, as captain and brought in as a keeper because they thought he was the, the best keeper in the in the country. Well, I don't think there's any doubt that, that Alex Carey is not only the best keeper in Australia, he's probably one of the best keepers in the world at the moment with some of the some of the takes that we've seen from him. He's he's put some marvelous performances together. Um, and that's just that just shows the difference between Australia and England. Johnny Bairstow put down two chances he really should have um, snapped up, whereas Alex Carey gets one that maybe if he did drop it. People might have said, oh, okay, that was a bit of a tough chance, but he takes it and he, and he puts Australia on top um, early on. And just quickly on Pat Cummins, man, as mm. his ability to get wickets early on is like, should not be understated, should not be undervalued. It, it's He did it four years ago. He does it home in Australia. Um, he's obviously got the weight, the captaincy on him now, but his ability to just get that those wickets in the first kind of first, second, third, fourth overs and, and put the opposition on the back foot is is incredible. He's, uh, he's, he's been in really fine touch and is, uh, is performing really well with the new ball. He looks pissed off too. He's like, all right, <laughs> you've poked me. Now I'm going to poke back. He was bowling yeah. quick. He celebrated those um, dismissals. Yeah, I love Ke- I love the way Carey's really improved since he got picked in the side. I think we're seeing with the bat and with the gloves, him just getting better and better and better. And, you know, you and I have both been lucky to, to you know, have dealings with him at domestic mm. level all the time. And if, if any person embodies the uh, spirit of cricket, the way they carry themselves, it's Alex Carey. So fine yeah, catch man, from him. Man, as you anticipate Adam Gilchrist doing any type of work with, with Carey, I know he's well involved in the media, uh, Gilly, but would they be working together, do you think? I think there is a little bit of a keepers club in Australia. Like I wouldn't be surprised surprised if there's a WhatsApp group with Gilly, Heels, mm. Carey, um, you know, you, Brad you know, yeah, Brad Haddon, absolutely. Uh, Jimmy Pearson would be in there now because he was mm. over there. Um, Josh Inglis, there'd be a little keeping group mm. where um, they um, probably just take pot shots at Johnny Besto all day. <laughs> um, all right. And then um, Harry Brook was caught uh, by Steve Smith in slips, I think second slip um, off the bowling of Cummins for three. Uh, Predictable dismissal for him, just poking at a good length ball. And then um, Root came out and actually Root and Crawley put on 43 together. And, 
you know, mm. looking pretty good. But then uh, Mitchell Marsh, golden arm day continues, comes mm. on and gets Crawley just poking at one, edges it to first slip. Australia didn't drop it. And that meant England with three for 65. Root and Besto survived the rest of the day. Mm. They put Basball away for a, a few overs sensibly and got through to stump. So England are 195 runs behind with seven wickets in hand. Mm. Jack, final assessment. I, my feeling is that things are pretty even at the moment. But if I'm Australia, runs on the board, Stokes is next and then Mo Ali, and then you're into Wokes, Wood, Robinson and Broad. I fancy my chances mm. of knocking England over for under 200. Well, I was messaging you last night while watching the coverage and, and I said, and this was admittedly when the score was four for 85, but I said, well, 250 might be um, might be kind of a match-winning total here, or not a match-winning total, a very, very good total. And, and I think the three wickets from Australia have proved that. I think the first kind of 30 to 45 minutes will be really key for the Aussies um, and for England for that matter. If England can kind of get through that nasty little period where the ball is going to be moving around and the Australian bowlers are, are fresh, um, I think that that could pay dividends for, for either side. Uh, if Australia were able to get two or three, then yeah, I'm all with you, man, as they, they could, they could blast England out for less than 150. but Stokes is, is going to be confident after, after the last test he's, He's probably going to have that Australian hatred running through his through his his veins and his blood um, after what happened in the previous test. So yeah, I think it's set up really nicely. If I was kind of giving my assessment, I would say uh, to use a boxing analogy, Australia probably just ahead on points by getting that third wicket last night, and as you mentioned, runs on the board. Um, but it's perfectly set up. It's 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 been it's been a great series so far, and yeah, I can't wait to see to see night two after I watch my fledgling dragons no doubt get smashed by Canberra tonight. <laughs> uh, so, so Jack, thanks very much for joining me for this wrap of day one. Where can the listeners find the Red V podcast? Uh, on all good podcast providers, uh, main ones are Apple Podcasts and, and Spotify. So, yeah, we do. Yeah, full, full match reviews, basically everything about the Dragons. So even if you're not a Dragons fan, a footy fan, and you want to hear a, a couple of, uh, yeah, young young to middle-aged guys ranting about how bad the Dragons are and how bad their lives are, uh, feel free to, to tune in. You can also find us on our socials um, at Red V Podcast 1 on Twitter and Red V Podcast on Instagram and Facebook as well. Oh, terrific stuff. You're doing a great job with the show and we're actually part of the same Sports Social mm. UK podcast network, ironically, after the last episode. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening to the wrap of day one. A special thanks to the countless listeners that reached out after the last episode. Mad Men's brand has never been hotter, mm. but it meant a lot to hear from you all. Um, yeah, so thanks, everybody. You know, received an overwhelming response. Really appreciate it. Um, thanks, everybody, to, for listening, and we'll be back with a wrap of day two. <laughs>